We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. We all know Greg is out uh, with an ACL. Dowling also has an ACL. Uh, Reggie Ragland is going to have surgery uh, on, a, on a torn ACL. He's expected to miss the season. But we have some guys, like I said, I feel good about the guys that we have. I think, um, you know, Zach Brown's been doing a good job. And then the addition of Spikes and Hawthorne, along with Randell Johnson, you know, we have good depth. We have better depth this year than we had last year at that position. So, you know, it's really unfortunate for the young man. And for our teams, we know he's a fine player, but um, guys will step up. I'm not Drew, it's Chris, Rockpile Report producer. Drew and I decided to cut this podcast into two pieces. Now, what you're about to hear is an investigative piece that Drew put together on soft tissue injuries since we've had our share of these injuries this season. We brought in a listener and doctor, Kyle Trimble, to discuss all of this. Here's what is going to be the first of many Rockpile Report investigates. Long-term health is such a, I don't know, it's an abstract concept in today's NFL because with free agency and everything else, it's show me, do something for me now, or I have to look elsewhere. Or show me now, but then hopefully I have the money to pay you when the time when, when the bill comes due. I mean, at the end of the day, injuries are such a fluky thing and they played such a huge role in our season. But that actually leads me to the reason that I have Dr. Kyle Trimble here with us. Okay, I alluded to this early on in the preseason, but it's taken me a while to really put it together. And now I finally got an opportunity to sit down with a medical professional and discuss it. There's been something. We're going to shift gears here. We're going to get away from Bill's news for just a second. So we can talk about something that I think is important. Okay. Now, year after year after year, you see injuries. And you see injuries you know, all across the league. Every team deals with injuries, right? Whether they be concussion-related, whether they be broken, you know, Eric Wood with his broken leg. Some of them seem like fluky things. Some of them, it's the same players over and over and over again. But no team is immune to it anymore. You know, it used to be that there were some teams you saw who just had injuries all the time, and that was just the nature of the beast. It just feels like they're becoming more and more prevalent. 
So that that kind of encouraged me to you know hit the internet, do some research, and that brings us to the focal point of tonight's Rockpile Report investigates. Season-ending injuries in the NFL, they're bad for the product. They're bad for your team, right? If you're a fan of a team and you lose your favorite player or you lose the most dynamic playmaker on your team, it's, it's detrimental not even, not even just to the team's overall success in the wins and loss columns. It's, it's bad for business in the NFL. And yet, they're becoming more and more common. You know, that's, that's the reason I wanted to have Dr. Kyle Trimble on the show with us tonight. So... Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about your professional background? You know, as a medical professional, what is it that you know in your line of work? What have you done? What's been your background? Okay, so I'll give you a little uh, rundown. I uh, originally from Erie, Pennsylvania, came up here in 2006 to begin uh, college at Duval. I graduated from Duval with my doctorate in physical therapy in 2013, and uh, I moved back home for a few years. Worked in the skilled nursing, you know, the nursing home. Then I worked in outpatient uh, orthopedics for a year and a half, did some uh, acute care work on the side, moved back up here because I fell in love, and uh, I'm very happy with that, but uh, I got into home care now. So I've done a little bit of everything within the profession. There's still a lot I can do, but I've seen and done a little bit of everything, <clears throat> saw people across the life spectrum, and you can see a lot of different injuries, recoveries, and just a lot of things in general. So Okay. So it sounds like you're you're very you're pretty well versed as far as um, you know. You were saying you do home care now, and you Correct. kind of help rehab people and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty familiar, and you, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You're pretty familiar with injuries. Correct. You yourself have experienced some of them. Yes, I've had a torn ACL when I was 11, and I uh, dislocated my shoulder when I was 16, blew up my knee when I was 14. So it kind of seemed like a natural career path to become a physical therapist. My thought was I did half of the work in the clinic. What's the other half in school? Um, a little bit tougher than that, but uh, that was pretty much what my thought process was. All right, folks. So when I started talking about this subject, it started out as just a thing on Twitter that I was talking about, and Kyle actually reached out to me, and he and I were going back and forth on Twitter about it. He's a follower of the podcast, and I told him, you know, I'm working on getting, you know, I'm doing research. I'm doing my own research because I'm sick. And I need help. I have an addiction to football. I eat, sleep, you know, breathe it. I I wanted to see, you know, AC, it seems like these injuries are happening at a, they're growing you know, at an alarming rate. At least that's what I see without doing any research. So then I really dug into it. And I wanted to have someone here who could really talk to me about what goes into some of these soft tissue injuries and these ACL and knee injuries that are kind of plaguing the game of football at this point. Now, just to kick us off here, here's Dr. Oz kind of explaining what an ACL is. Yeah, part of the problem with the ACL is this is it's this big ligament right in the smack middle of the knee that doesn't have that much blood supply. It's like a rope. And so when it tears, unlike a muscle that you tear or you you know or, or strain somewhere else where you have blood and therefore cells that come in to help fix things up, you don't have that with the ACL. So you have to re- you have to reconstruct it. To do that, you've got to take a ligament from somewhere else in the body or a piece of tissue, a tendon from somewhere else in the body, which you can you know you take it from around the patella, you can take it from the hamstrings, and you reconstruct it. Now he's had the operation before. Uh, the big issue with ACL reconstructions is it takes a long time for that new transplanted tendon to sort of settle. It's got to heal to the bone, 
uh, it's got to itself be sort of uh, you know rejuvenated and come back to life again and fulfill its new function because that's not what it was made to do initially. And then most importantly, and this is the part that Carson Palmer is going to have to work at, is you have to rehabilitate somebody because for a while the legs aren't quite the same length, they don't quite bend the same way. You've got to retrain your body using plyometrics. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of you know, leg hopping, all these crazy exercises you see pros doing when they're trying to bounce back are critically important to you get your balance back so you have to be able to adjust quickly in, in vital situations so that you're as quick as, and as agile as you used to be. Was Dr. Oz, NFL AM, formerly on the NFL Network, talking about Carson Palmer's second ACL tear. Yeah, so it sounds an awful lot like that's it. I mean, obviously, you've seen it, anybody who's watched football, ACLs are not easy to come back from. Some players never come back from because it's such a weird, and from the sound of it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's not a natural type of replacement. You're not just fixing an existing tendon like you would if you tore your bicep. You're just, at that point, you're sewing the bicep back together and you're just letting it heal naturally. Whereas in this instance, you're actually taking a, a tendon and you're taking it from a part of the body in, you know, where it's probably never had to do the function that you're asking of it, and you're trying to plug it back into that spot and then just hoping that it can eventually come back. I mean, does that sound about right, Kyle? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only thing I would, you know, the, sometimes they'll take tendons from the patellar region or the hamstring region, like Dr. Oz said, but uh, tendons connect muscle to bone, ligaments connect bone to bone. So you're asking this tissue to act differently, and it, that's why it takes longer, and then you have to retrain everything because it has to adapt to that new situation, and it's no guarantee. Uh, I know one thing they've been doing more recently is using cadaver ACLs. So they'll take them out of, um, you don't want to say donors because they're not living donors, but they'll take them out mm-hmm. of people who have recently passed and they'll plug them in there. So that's a natural tissue, putting it into the natural area. But there's still a lot of risk associated with that because you have to make sure the tissue heals up correctly in there, that the body is not going to reject it, and that the, body, the person still rehabs back correctly. So, I mean, there's just a lot of hurdles to hit with those reconstructions. Okay. So, now, the one thing that I wanted to focus on in my investigation here was soft tissue injuries, because it seems to be the most, they seem to be the ones that are growing the most. And we're going to go over all the numbers in this, you know, that are associated with that in a minute here. Soft tissue. Now, is that joints and flexors, or just the connective tissues and muscles in between, or can it be both? It can be everything. The only time it's not going to be um, soft tissue is if it's a fracture. I mean, the... Bones are considered tissue, but it's different makeup and whatnot like that. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much you can do to prevent a fracture. It's you know, that's a structural aspect of it there. But anything else, soft tissue, you're talking ligaments, tendons, um, just the tissue in general, the muscles. Anything else is considered to- soft <clears throat> tissue, from what my education has shown me and from what I've seen. Okay, so then in your professional opinion, I have to ask the question. Okay, do you feel that soft tissue injuries are avoidable? Yes, to some extent. To some extent. I mean, obviously, no injury is 100% avoidable. Correct. It's a a contact sport. Mm -hmm. But do you think that with a certain level of conditioning, things could, certain knee injuries, ankle injuries, tendon injuries, those can be avoided? Correct, because that's why I have a job, because that's part of the rehab process. So you're conditioning the body to get back at the higher level functioning. So. Why isn't it realistic to think that if you're at a certain baseline, you can't get better at what you're doing? Mm-hmm. So that's comes up with the proper training. So yeah, a lot of things can be prevented, not 100%, but you can take steps to at least reduce the incidence of it. Okay. So this kind of sets the table for what I want to talk about here with the NFL. 
and where I think that they're they're doing their players a disservice. Okay, it, it all starts with the new CBA getting signed in 2011-2012. One of the biggest things that came under that new CBA, outside of ending the lockout, was the fact that it limited practice sessions. And you saw some concerns start to rise as early as 2011. You know, Bucky Brooks wrote an article for NFL.com talking about how you know these changes to practice could negatively impact NFL football. But when you read the article and you look at it, all of their concerns, tackling would suffer, running game, would you know, run blocking wouldn't be as effective because the, the alignment haven't had as many reps. The reduction of you know, practices are going to impact the passing game because blockers won't learn how to handle contact as well. No one had seemed to have, and I can't find, I have found 10 more articles just like that. Their concern was the product on the field. Not once was there any was there any concern with the safety of the players who were playing the game. You know, I think I think when players asked for the reduced practice time, they went into it with the mentality of the less time I spend on the practice field, the less wear on my joints, which could, you know, kind of elongate my career. You know, it could preserve my body. I won't take as many hits over the course of a season. I'll be able to play longer. I mean, I can see the logic, so I I, I don't fault them for that. Now let's fast forward just you know you know a little bit. 2013. Okay, Adam Schefter writes an article for ESPN at the end of the preseason, talking about how the change in the CBA after after that you know back in 2011 2012. Since they've reduced practice time, now from 2012 to 2013. Season-ending injuries in the preseason rose from 132 in 2012 to 181 in the preseason for 2013. He says, you know, he went on to question, you know, hey, is this something that, are people starting to wonder whether or not this CBA was a good deal, whether this reduced practice time was safe? The NFLPA responded by disputing it and saying that the uptick in IR designations had to do with the new CBA. You know, but it was because teams were almost being too cautious with players. Oh, they're just doing it as a precautionary measure. Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe I'll buy that. Maybe. Maybe teams are kind of gun-shy now because they know that injuries are being scrutinized. This is still when the concussion settlement was kind of at its peak, You know, when it was in the forefront of the news. So who knows? Maybe they are being, you know, I'll buy that. In 2013, I'll buy that story. By the end of 2013... The year was being coined by Sports Illustrated as Year of the Injury. Okay? Jenny Vrentis from Monday Morning Quarterback wrote Sports Illustrated. You know, she wrote an article all about the increases in the injuries. And some of the stuff that they came up with, I mean, it was crazy when you look at the statistics. Preseason ACL injuries were the highest in that year that they had been since 2000. What was it? Preseason ACL injuries were up to 27. That's the highest they were since 2004. 27 preseason ACL tears. By the end of the season, well, by week 13, when the article was written, 50 total ACL tears. Out of those 50, they reviewed 32 of them. Okay, Sports Illustrated was able to isolate 32 plays where players tore their ACL, and only one of them was a direct result of forcible contact by another player. So these are injuries that are all of a sudden just occurring at a rate that they didn't occur before. And you can't say that it's because players are going low to avoid, because that was the other big thing. The NFL players association trumped out there was 
Well, now players are aiming low, which we have seen. There's been an uptick of players being hit low rather than taking a hit up high. Pre- kind of, uh, preseason, Washington. Washington. Who was, who was the tight end? Greg. Yeah, Chris, Chris Greg, Greg. Tore his ACL on a, mm-hmm. on a low hit that probably could have been avoided, but players are now cognizant of the fact that if they hit another player up high, they risk fines, they risk penalties, they risk suspensions. So, but, but, but even with that argument, I'm looking at evidence that states that a lot of these are non-contact ACL tears. And that was a large number of them. The only one was Dustin Keller and DJ Swearinger. And if anyone remembers that hit, that hit was filthy. I mean, he clearly hit him well. Or you can look at uh, even college, Marcus Lattimore. Eight of those 32 were all incidental combat contact by an opponent or teammate. Okay, I'll say that with full disclosure. Eight of those 32 okay, were a teammate falling on another teammate awkwardly, and it twists his leg in a way it shouldn't. Kind of like what happened to Eric Wood. Eric Wood broke his leg in that instance, but eight of those 32 ACL tears that they reviewed were because someone act, you know, got rolled up on by another player. The other 24 were all non-contact ACL tears. The NFL had no statement, and the NFLPA had no statement to make on it at the time when Jenny Varentis writes her article. So, we move forward. Okay, Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting. I decided, you know, I, I went back as far as I could to get information on IR designations. Because at this point, you're seeing a, you're seeing a pattern. All of a sudden, in, an, you know, in year after year where you didn't see you know, preseason ACL tears happening at the rate that they were. I mean, if you look at their graph, in 2005, there was only 12 ACL tears in the preseason. 2013 doubled, more than doubled that. So you take a look at year over year. I went back to 2014 and pulled the numbers on all of the players put on the IR for the entire season. The number, the grand total was 364. 364 players who at some point during the NFL season were placed on the IR. Fast forward to the end of 2015, that number jumps up to 421 players. Now, with full disclosure, that was the first year I could find an actual breakdown on the types of injuries. Out of the 421, this is is what I find interesting. 59 of those IR designations were designated as knee injuries, and 65 of them were full-blown ACL tears. I mean, that right there, you've got, a what is it, 114, or is it 124? Is my math bad? 59 and 65. doesn't matter. The fact is, is you're in this 120 ballpark range for just knee injuries. Then you look at the other, the other injuries. I mean, you look at guys who got put on the IR for collarbone fractures. There was five of them. Broken. How many of those were Tony Romo? <laughs> Three of those Romos. <laughs> Three four, of five, Romos. Four players got put on the IR for broken fingers. You know, one guy got put on for an abdominal injury. Twelve got put on for broken arms. But by the same measure, you've got a, over 120 players who are being put on the IR for injuries to one part of the body. Even more interesting is that they all seem to be happening to the same three, you know, year over year. It seems to be the same three position groups that are taking these injuries. Cornerbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. Those seem to be the three most affected positions. Which, if you think about the game of football, that makes sense. You know, they're, they're, they're the ones who are cutting the most. Not only, you know, horizontal movement, but they're also they're moving laterally. They're also moving forward at high rates of speed. And 
you know, you, you wonder how many of these are non-contact. If that's you know, if, if you can find twenty-four out of fifty in the preseason, or twenty-four to thirty-two that are non-contact, I wonder how many of these are non-contact. Too many, and you know, I'm looking at the ACL and the mechanism of injury, and I'll read directly off of where I got it from. It's called Physiopedia.com. It's a great resource I use if I want to look up stuff and just you know casually or whatnot. The mechanism of injury for ACL is due to a cut in plant movement due to sudden change in direction or speed with foot firmly planted. Another way to tear an ACL is rapid deceleration movements. And a third way is landing from a jump, pivoting, twisting, direct impact to front of tibia. So most of those were not in contact except for the direct impact to the front of tibia, uh, which would be classified under the direct contact. Uh, so if you go back and listen to what I just said, all those are the movements that the running back, wide receiver, cornerback, and the agility players have to do. So, it yeah, it's a natural understanding to look at and say, okay, no wonder these guys are having injuries. These are the movements that they have to do. Now, not to say that you can't do that uh, position without doing those, uh, that job, but then you start looking like Stephon Gilmore, second-guessing everything you're doing, and then sucking up on the field. So you got to go away the way your body wants you to go and react. And unfortunately, some of these things do happen, but there are ways to prevent it. Okay, so that's my question to you because now let's let's move forward to 2016. So we've talked about 2014 to 2015, and you can see the big jump in the number of, you know, just knee injuries. If we just want to talk about knee injuries because there's anything, all kinds of soft tissue injuries. I mean, there was 29 shoulder injuries in 2015. There was, I think the other number that jumped out at me was um, the number of guys who, calf injuries. Calf injuries was nine for two, for the entire season of 2015. So that's your Achilles, okay? As of week, I think I pulled these numbers as of week nine or week eight, there was already four, and we just got two more Achilles tears this weekend. That, that, that raises the number of Achilles tendon tears that sent players to the IR this year. We're already at six. Okay. And at this point in the season, when I pulled these numbers, there was 218 players already on the IR with season-ending injuries, most of which are soft tissue injuries. So, it, I mean, we're on pace to double, not to double, but we're on pace to beat last year's numbers, which were leaps and bounds higher than the numbers in 2014. This is a trend. Okay, it's Every single year you see that number increase. And you can tell me that I'm biased because of a preconceived notion that I have a different opinion. But the fact is I'm watching, I'm not only watching these injuries increase, but I'm watching the product on the field suffer because of it. I mean, if you're a fan of a team like the Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings, Vikings, you started out the season undefeated. And then you start your offensive lineman, you know, Jake Long, gone with an ACL injury. They've lost Achilles. Achilles injury. Then you have... Um, who, Matt Khalil. Matt Khalil. Knee injury. And one of their other tackles. One of their other tackles. Dunfins. Now they're on street free agents. Yeah. And you see that now they're in the middle of a four-game losing streak and they don't know how to turn it around. Well, it's because your offense can't keep your defense fresh because they can't do anything on offense because your offensive line is gone. So now your team went from being a great story and fun to watch and competitive, you're just decimated. Now you can't compete anymore, and the product that they're putting out there on the field isn't as watchable as it used to be. I mean, the game is suffering because of this. So that brings me kind of full circle to, I guess, the questions I want to ask you, Kyle. All right. My opinion coming into this, reduced practice time is absolutely a detriment to the health of NFL athletes. 
Okay, I think the research is you know, research has shown that turf fields are more conducive to injury than grass, considering that there's not as much give. You know, there's not as much. Uh, I mean, it's it's just not as malleable a surface. It's harder to work on. So you do see, and there's a ton of research out there to support this idea of mine that these fields and this you know, between the fields not being up to par as far as grass and as far as how they can support your body as you're trying to play on it. It's a more rigid surface. There's studies out there that show that this is a thing and that it contributes to these types of injuries, right? Yes. And now I'm seeing year over year, ever since you signed this CBA reducing practice time, that injuries like this are skyrocketing. At the same time, you're talking about how the body's conditioning. You know, you mm-hmm. can, conditioning ultimately dictates. You know, obviously, you can't prevent all ACL tears. You can't prevent all soft tissue injuries from occurring. But they've been climbing rapidly ever since we stopped practicing and we cut back on athlete conditioning. Mm-hmm. Maybe the game of football is. I'm just thinking. This is my opinion. The game of football is a game that requires that level of conditioning in order to be effective and in order to stay as healthy as you possibly can. Considering it's a collision-based sport, there is a lot of that cutting, hard lateral movement involved. I mean, what what's your opinion as a medical professional? Do, do you think that I'm, I'm? Do you think I'm right, or do, do you dispute that? I, I think you're pretty much on point with that. Now, with the amount of practice time, I'm sure these guys got enough practice time. I'm sure Reed can attest to it. Any other NFL player saying we're practicing enough, but. What about the quality of practice? You know, I mean, you got you reduce the quantity, but can you improve the quality of that practice? And what I mean by that is, you know, instead of spending all the time on X's nose, like we talked about earlier, uh, prior to the podcast, can you work on more specific drills, conditioning, things like that to really address the specific needs of the position? Because it's one thing to be in shape. I mean, unless your name is Carlos Williams. You know, you, 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 you're a professional. You're supposed to come in. You're supposed to be certain expectations you're supposed to hit. So, you know, you're going to come in. You make sure you're strong enough. Make sure you can run the, the required distances, things like that. But are you uh, conditioned to the position you're being asked to play? And that's where I think is being lost. I'm sure that I think they, they said that five weeks of practice time was limited after the new CBA and that could be time spent with the strength and conditioning coach. That could be time spent with the PTs. It could be just a lot of time spent on specific drills to address their specific uh, positions. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're on point with a lot of this stuff. And then, you know, I, I have a um, ACL prevention or tear prevention program. Now, a lot of them are different. This one happens to be from the Santa Monica Sports Medicine Research Foundation. I don't know where the hell they're at. It sounds like they're in Santa Monica, but they have <laughs> they have their their program, which looks pretty concept, uh, comprehensive and something I think I would use if I was working out somebody post ACL reconstruction. But to go over briefly, one of the things was section one warm up. You do jog line to line, and then it's followed by shuttle run, backward running, followed by strengthening, consisting of walking lunges, Russian hamstrings, where you're letting your whole body go forward and pulling yourself back up, single toe raises. Followed by plyometrics, going to lateral hops over cones, mm-hmm. the side to side. So it sounds leg. like so it sounds like their program's pretty intense on getting that side to side motion, getting explosive movements the forwards and backwards. Plyometrics, so, and then there's agilities. I mean, they're so, working on landing, working on jumping. So here's mixture. my question: How much time do NFL football teams? I guess that's the thing that I think needs to be addressed because I don't hear anything about it in the media. 
I don't hear anything. I mean, there's already talks about how there's, there could be another strike in mm-hmm. a couple of years. They're talking about all these things posturing about money. At the end of the day, why isn't this something that's getting more press? Why aren't these athletes more concerned about, hey, we signed this deal and we reduced our practice time. Maybe this is something that we might want to change. Maybe we might want to look at for our own sake. Because I get it. The mentality going into it was, hey, we can elongate our careers. You're not going to do that by tearing your ACL. So if there's steps that you could be taking to prevent that, I would think that that would be paramount, right? That would be paramount to whatever kind of deal you strike, whatever kind of practice regimen you want to set for yourselves. And the whole thing just raises a lot of questions for me. And then the last thing I don't understand is the NFL. They've been preaching player safety, except everything that they've been saying seems like it's focused on concussions. They only say it. They don't, they don't mean it. They just say it. So you look at a league that's terrified of this concussion lawsuit, and so they're going through the motions to try to convince everyone that they care. Yet under their watch, you know, if they're, you know, the, under the watch of this new league that is, suddenly has this newfound care for player safety, season-ending injuries are rising at an alarming rate, and they're not even talking about it. They're not doing anything to stop it. And in fact, we, you know, we touched on the fact that and anyone can go out there and Google Turf versus grass. What's better for your for the human body to be playing playing on? Yet every single new sports complex that gets built has a turf field. So you want to sit here and tell me that you care about player safety, and yet I'm watching injuries just skyrocket. I'm watching teams that have what I would consider to be, based on what I'm seeing in the numbers, inadequate conditioning regimens. Yet that's not being talked about. And I can I have a theory of why. I mean, I I'll, first I'll address the, the turf issue. It's cheaper to manage. They're going to it, it's less it's just less effort to take care of, and it's going to hold up longer over you know over time versus grass. So I can understand why they want to do it from cost perspective. And then also too, think about it this way: if they start talking about you know we're we're taking steps to re- prevent ACL tears by doing this and this and this. That sounds boring. I don't want to listen to that. But you tell me that AJ Green goes and tears the ACL. Don't tell me you're not going to drop everything and read and see how it's going to affect your team, how it's going to affect the opponents. I mean, that's that's attention grabbing. So I'm not saying the NFL is necessarily going toward let's look at the um, ratings, the, everything the else. Sexy parts of it. Yeah, the, talking about ACL prevention is not sexy. I don't know, man. It's 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 just not sexy whatsoever. But you talk about somebody tearing the ACL. That creates parody in the league. That creates headlines. That creates press. You know, they're figure hey, it's a pro- it's our product. We can do what we want with it. That's not the right way to look at it. But if that's their outlook, well, then shame on them, I guess. Well, and that comes back to, and I guess that's the reason that that's the reason for this entire exercise, folks. Like I said, I, I hope I haven't bored you to death. But for a league that talks about being play- conscious of player safety, the fact that I can spend a couple weeks doing research on just with just Google and Excel. And I can put together a database that shows that there are there's an injury problem in the NFL. You have to think they have access to this information too, and they probably already know about this. They so have to, ra- no doubt. So, so it raises the question, and I'm just going to let this hang there. Why aren't they talking about it, guys? Give us some feedback on Twitter at Rockpile Report. Let us know if you enjoyed this investigative piece as its own podcast. The more positive feedback we get. Then we'll look into doing more investigative pieces in the future. Any questions for Kyle Trimble? Find him on Twitter at KyleTrimble88. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.